So when the Jeffrey Epstein story broke in the news, of course, we got a lot of emails, people asking that we do an episode about it. And as I thought about it, I thought, well, I don't know if I have anything to offer in terms of new information, things that you wouldn't be able to get other places, because I'm always thinking about that. I'm thinking, well, what can we offer as a podcast that other people might not approach it from another angle? And when I looked into Jeffrey Epstein, the story, which I found to be gripping, there's uh, so many different angles to this story that are interesting. I listened to a whole podcast about it, a whole podcast series about it. And I just thought, well, if we did an episode about it, all I'd be saying is there's something deeply wrong with this guy. He is a monster. There's just, it's terrible what this person is. And I thought, what would we talk about exactly? Well, this happened a number of times where people would email, because it was, what, months ago when this story first came out. And people would email. Is it even this year? Like, yeah, it might even been the end of last year. So I, you know, had get more emails. I thought, okay, you got to talk about it. And you might even remember, Berto. I would like say, okay, we're podcasting this week, and we're going to talk about Jeffrey Epstein. And then that was like five months ago, and I and we just never we didn't we didn't get to that episode, and I didn't really care because I was like, well, what am I going to say? Well, finally. Someone emailed, and it reached a critical mass, and I started to look into the story a little bit more deeply. I started to think about what angle we could provide, and I think we have something to offer, which is to look at it from a psychological angle, not just saying he's a psychopathic monster, but what kind of psychopathic monster was he, and and why was he a psychopathic monster? And that's what we're going to get into today, Berto. What do you say? Sounds fascinating. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Casanilla, and I trap lightning in a bottle. <laughs> so a caveat to this episode is everything I know comes from the internet, podcasts, and documentaries. I try to privilege better sources over others, but everything that I'm saying should be taken with that in mind. I'm not a journalist. I'm not an investigator. I'm a therapist who does a podcast and looks at the internet, so just keep that in mind. Also, this is not a podcast uh, that has two people who are Epstein experts. Me and Umberto are not experts on the Epstein story. If you are an expert, maybe a super fan, if you will, I might not listen to this episode because we're probably not going to go into the depth that you would prefer. So uh, beware of that. Also, the main point of this episode is speculating regarding personality disorders and development and that kind of thing. It's all purely a speculation based on extremely limited limited information available to us. So let's review his childhood first before we go into the diagnosing. So his childhood. He's born in 1953. New York City, dad was a groundskeeper, mom worked at a school and was a homemaker. His parents were seen as gentle and respected. He had one younger sibling, a brother. He was reportedly well-liked within his group of friends growing up. He was known to be quiet and nerdy and awkward. So remember that, quiet, nerdy, and awkward. And no reports of childhood antisocial behavior or psychopathy or conduct disorder. But who knows? You know, it's it's not like we have the ability to interview everyone that he grew up with. Maybe something 
will come out. And maybe some, some of you super fans of Epstein know more about that. But I couldn't find any reports of any troubling behavior as a child. How was his family in terms of finances? Uh, they were know? they were multiply described as working class, lower class, and middle class. So, mm-hmm. dad was a groundskeeper. So I'm guessing they made a good enough living in their neighborhood to exist similar to their neighbors or something. So, so there's that. Okay. Um, now, the reason why it's notable that we don't have any childhood reports of psychopathic behavior is that that a lot of people like this. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, for example, you would hear about earlier reports of <laughs> abusing animals, exploiting other children, exploiting younger children, uh, you know, waking up with knives, or, you know, next to your bed with, as a threat yeah. from a five-year-old child, like as in Ted Bundy. I can't remember how old he was, but he did something like that to his aunt, if I remember right. Anyway, but we, we don't know, but we don't hear any reports of that. As a teenager, he was a good student, particularly in math. And incidentally, he skipped two grades, both the third grade and the eighth grade. He graduated two years early at the age of 16. So let's keep, that, let's keep that in mind as well. His brother was also smart, reportedly. Adulthood. He went to college. He drove taxi. He drove a taxi for work in New York City. He got a job teaching math at a fancy private school. He was uh, apparently well-liked by students and other staff, and he was rumored to have a relationship with a teenage girl while he was teaching there. I don't know how old he was at the time. My impression was that he would have been early 20s, and he's having a rumored relationship with, you know, let's say a 16-year-old girl. He was fired for unknown reasons that I could find, but he reportedly lied about this, saying that he quit instead. So keep that in mind what, as well, that he might have been lying about himself early in life. Uh, I believe he had made up uh, lies about his credentials as well. To get into the school? To be a teacher, yeah. Interesting. Because he certainly did it later when he got a job in, in Wall Street. Interesting. Okay, so let's, let's, let's look at that as well, or keep that in mind. He met upper-class people while at the fancy private school. One of them hired him as a stock market trader. He did very well. Eventually, he owned his own firm. He became filthy rich and hung out with filthy rich people and powerful people. Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, Kevin Spacey, Prince Andrew. Do we see a pattern here? And, Hmm. and, And many others. There's also lots of reports of philanthropy. Lots of reports. Uh, Now, here's the first question for you, Berto. Uh, well, before I ask the, ask the question, we have reports of him giving to charities like or, you know, organizations, this sort of thing, but also to individuals. Someone needs uh, money for uh, medical bills. Someone needs someone has a kid who's going to college. They can't afford it. He would pay for it. And seemingly a lot of the things that he did, he didn't ask for recognition. He wasn't, it wasn't, a lot of the giving that he gave was not public. It wasn't very noticeable or right. fla- or flashy. So the question is, what, because the, what people will say often is, oh, he must have been manipulative. He must have been trying, how could a monster like Jeffrey Epstein also give to philanthropy without it being part of his monstership? What do you think, bro? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. In one extreme, I mean, you and I talked so many times about Ted Bundy and other similar things. That's like one extreme where it really is hard to tell if there were any instances of legitimate humanity, but there there probably were like with his girlfriend and at some point with like coworkers or something. You know, that there were very surface level things that you're like, well, that was probably him being sort of legitimate human. But these are like extreme human beings. Uh, However, like you have constant reports from people that uh, do massive fraud, like, for example, the Enron uh, folk, um, Bernie Madoff. Like there's a lot of folks that do massive fraud. But then in other aspects of their life, uh, they're very well liked and and people speak highly about them. And and they might be even, quote unquote, really nice family people. Um, Another example is mob bosses, right? Like... Um, and granted, here I'm going a little bit by by what we see in media and stuff. But uh, there seems to be this idea that you know they have this separation of like family life and business, right? And so like they'll have their family reunions and actually and and quite real. It, like if you look at Pablo Escobar, he was very well liked by both his uh, city, the city he was in Medellin, and a lot of folks throughout the country. And certainly his family and so, like he was a gregarious individual. He gave to the community. He built things. So I actually think it's quite uh, possible, common even, that you see these these dichotomies of like um, a person that on one facet of their life might be a horrible human being, and yet in other parts of their life they're you know they're doing nice things or being kind or whatever. Right. Well, and even the way you worded it was they're a horrible human being. And then another aspect is they're doing nice things instead of they're also a good human being. There's, you know, there's another side to them that is a good. Now, it's just a way of phrasing it. There's there's no. Yeah, I'm sort of like balancing it out and going like, well, you still killed thousands of people. So, yeah, we're going to net out on bad. Right. Right. I mean, you know, was Jeffrey Epstein a net good or bad on the world? I think everyone would agree he's a net bad. But we have this notion in our culture, or maybe it's some kind of instinct that we want to look at humans in black and white ways that, you know, we do with, we do this with politicians all the time. They're either on our team or they're not on our team. They're either a monster or they're a good person. And the fact is, is that it's just a way of talking about things. And when you actually look at the data, because let's say, you know, someone that's a good person, like, Bill Gates, for example, he gives billions and billions of dollars to charity, uh, very non-flashy things as well. He, he gives small amounts of millions of dollars to, you know, him, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They give uh, little bits in here to here for education, this kind of thing. Yeah. And you might look at Bill Gates and you think, well, that's a good guy because there's right. plenty of rich dudes who never give any of their money to charity or very little of their money to charity. And so we say, okay, he's a good guy. Well, what's the difference between someone that's a good guy versus a guy who is doing good things? We just, you know, it's just a story we tell ourselves. So the data shows that when you actually look at these individuals, these monsters, Ted Bundy and, and Jeffrey Dahmer and so on, they are capable of empathy and altruism. And it's hard to match up. It's hard to... Uh, figure that out. We have a really hard time accepting that. And I think it's 
I think it might be somewhat hardwired into us of just like, I can't reconcile the fact that that person is inhuman and yet human at the same time. Uh, uh, you, you know, I've been um, recently, don't ask me why, because I don't really know, but I've been watching a lot of videos about the Aztecs, the Aztec culture. Why? Why are you watching videos? Just, <laughs> well, just, I'll tell just. you. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, no, no but... I, I go down those kinds of YouTube uh, rabbit holes every rabbit hole. every night at about eleven fifteen. I, I who knows what I'm going to start looking. I at. mean, something triggered it, but I, I honestly can't remember what it was. But the thing is, you probably know the Aztecs were, um, as far as we know historically the bloodiest human sacrificers that we know of in history. Uh, there probably were others, but we don't know about them. And that's including like ancient Sumeria and stuff. Like, it's crazy. They would sacrifice tens of thousands of people at, at like one festival. So, uh, bloody, you know, and horrible, like cut out hearts, all these things. Okay. Yet they had this really good social net. You know, meaning like they had good social programs, free education for everyone, uh, like aqueduct in the city. Like they had all this like conveniences. They they had families, you know, family lives, all these things. Most of the people they killed were the, the neighboring tribes and things like that. I say most because some weren't. But anyways, my point is, uh, obviously, I'm not trying to excuse <laughs> the, the behavior. It's just that for them, they didn't wake up every morning going like, oh, we're, we're monsters, aren't we? They were like, oh, do 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 do, another day in Aztec world, right. and oh, hi, honey, and let's go have our free education, and this is great. Oh, look, they're sacrificing someone, yay! Um, that was their life, uh, in less grotesque ways, but still kind of like animalistic. Uh, you see the 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 bullfighters in Spain and in Colombia. I grew up with it and stuff, uh, and you know they'll just torture the bull and then kill it, and I was like, yay! And then they'll drink the blood and all these things. But then they'll go home and they'll, you know, they'll go to church that same Sunday and stuff. These are the kind of incongruous things that humans are actually quite capable of right. uh, historically. And, yeah, and I think you touched on, upon another factor as well as you were talking about it. You're like, well, I'm not making excuses. <clears throat> and I, I think that that's one of the things. It's like, well, if you say anything nice about Jeffrey Epstein or just recognize that maybe he was a good guy sometimes – it's mistaken for excusing or even approving of his terrible right. behavior, which is doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so also uh, other reports were that people close to him really liked him. For example, he stayed friends with a lot of his childhood friends, and that kind of tells you something. He remained close friends with his first wife and became good friends with her husband. And when she was in the hospital, he visited her every day. Uh, so is you know if if when your ex-wife is still good friends with you for many years after a divorce, that says something. I don't know what exactly it says, but it, it says something. However, Unless your first wife is uh, G Ghislaine Mas Maxwell. Yeah, Ghislaine is how you. Ghislaine. Yeah. Um, however, he was also very friendly with her daughters. He tutored one of the uh, daughters for and spent a lot of time with her. So. Right. You know, who knows what's going on there as well. Um, all right. So that's the history in a nutshell. He abused children for many years, many, many children, as young as 11, but mostly around 15 years of age. And he, he abused them directly and indirectly, right? Because he'd, he'd have them recruit other children. <laughs> yeah. 
He was essentially at the top of the pyramid of a very large sex trafficking organization. Uh, estimated he personally abused hundreds of children and was a part of trafficking hundreds, if not thousands, of children. He reportedly had sex at least three times a day, abusing uh, girls and also having consensual sex with uh, younger women as well, like adults. Which, by the way, you're probably going to get into this, but when I heard those behaviors as well as Ghislaine's behaviors, I felt like, man, that sounds like addictive behavior. Right. So we'll get into that for sure. Let alone that they were underage. Even if they weren't underage, that's like, wow, that's that's a lot. Like, right. They're just having constant sex. Right. And as you mentioned, Ghislaine Maxwell, also a rich, powerful person, was recruited into his organization and helped him to recruit, was, was both a friend and a lover and a... Uh, assistant in the recruiting of women, assistant in the covering it up, and also joined in on the abusive behavior uh, side by side with with Jeffrey Epstein. Hard to know if Ghislaine would have done that without influence of Jeffrey Epstein, but who knows. Um, and he did all the normal things to stay out of trouble. He threatened people. He used his power. He paid people off. He befriended law enforcement. Uh, donating, just being their friends, inviting them to parties, and blackmail. He reportedly filmed powerful people having sex with children and reportedly said, "If unless you do what I tell you to, I'm going to blackmail you with this, with this video. You know, it's, it's unbelievable that in spite of all that, uh, when I watched the documentary, I was like floored by how, how little precaution they took in other ways. Like, they were so brazen with the girls themselves and basically just estimated that under no circumstances were those girls going to say anything. Right. And, you know, the, like, I guess they were just so used to it that they got looser and looser with, like, the, their own rules. Well, uh, th- this is Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, uh, you could say yeah. Bill, Bill Clinton, perhaps, Kevin Spacey, Prince Andrew. They all know through experience and it's probably a slippery slope that they go down where the first sexual assault is perhaps uh, minor in degree and also they do take measures to try to prevent them making a report but then they learn over time that oh i've done this 20 times and none of them have made a report and then one makes a report and they have 10 lawyers, you know, descend on that individual or maybe even threaten violence or something. And then they learn, oh, even if they do make a report, I still win. Yeah. The reason why, and I've said this before, women and victims of various different sexual crimes do not report these kinds of things is because of us. It's because of our society. When someone robs you at gunpoint and takes your a wallet or your purse, you're not shy about calling 911. When people are harassed sexually or assaulted sexually, most people do not report it. Why? Because they know full well that society will stigmatize them, blame them, the judicial system, the law enforcement system will likely abuse them, not listen to them. 
It's well understood, and the perpetrators of these crimes understand it. Imagine if you were a, a person who stole animals from people's houses. You just stole pets. You stole dogs and cats. Which I do, but... And you understood through experience and through reports that no, you could steal wh- whatever animal you want from whatever porch you want and no one will report you. Well, guess what? You're going to do it as, as often as you feel like doing it because you yep. just know that it's going to be swept under the rug or it's not going to be reported at all because there's so much stigma around reporting in the first place. So, yeah, the law enforcement system completely enabled Har- uh, no, Harvey Weinstein as yeah. well, but also uh, <clears throat> Jeffrey Epstein for decades. So many individual police officers, FBI agents, prosecutors, etc., judges, either they were completely inept or totally corrupt. Also, ageist, sexist, classist, racist, etc. These are the things that also contribute to a white, male, heterosexual, rich guy getting away with things. Once again, law enforcement officials fail our society. Serve and protect. And they fail the public. You can't have Jeffrey Epstein... You can't have Harvey Weinstein. You can't have Bill Cosby without a system that allows sadistic psychopaths to get away with this. It's happening all the time. And we have just discovered the famous people. Imagine the thousands of other Jeffrey Epsteins out there right now who are still under the radar because of a system that covers up. What's the chance that we have finally caught all of the perpetrators who are benefiting from a law enforcement system that fails the American public. So think about that one. All right, let's talk about psychological conceptualizations. But first, Berto, let's take a break. Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. So let's get into the psychological conceptualizations. Why would Jeffrey Epstein do those things? What makes him different from the rest of us? Berto, what do you think? He seemed to really want to be in the good life, like rich, you know, just like be in that world. Um, and he was willing to lie to get there. So as I mentioned earlier, he... Uh, he fabricated credentials, uh, and then when caught, he was like very good at like giving, you know, plausible, not even plausible deniability, just like, yeah, but you, and you, like basically, he had a lot of charisma points, so he was able to get people still on his side, even as he was confessing that, yeah, yeah, I, I made that up. Um, and then the scheme, like he basically got rich unethically, you know, he... He got in in a lot of um, uh, like Wall Street type schemes that that are exactly the kind of thing that we don't want people doing. But he doesn't care. Like he he was, a, and then once he got past a certain threshold, then he started uh, using that money and power to do something even more nefarious. So I feel like that there was probably something when he was, you know, in his childhood or whatever about wanting a better life maybe he felt guilt or or shame 
maybe even though his he, he, they lived in a reasonable middle class, maybe that that was somehow shameful to him. Um, and there must have also been. So I was suggesting that there was some sort of addiction to sex. Uh, who knows if he was abused or something? But there 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 must have been something that made him want that constant hit of um, of adrenaline or of sexual release. Uh, and lastly, uh, a thing about control, like power. Like he seemed like he really wanted to exert power, uh, and, and 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 basically got off more on how many of these girls he could exert power over, rather than just you know that he got a girlfriend that that he had a relationship with or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good description. So let's get into some of the clinical language here. Well, obviously, we're going to look at psychopathy or psychopathic personality or psychopathic personality disorder. And the you know uh, main way in which we look at this, the main way in which we describe psych, there's lots of different description of psychopathy. There's, it's, it's a word that is used even in the clinical language in a variety of ways. But people generally mean it in the hair sense which is H-A-R-E, which is a fellow Canadian psychologist and I believe he was a psychologist. And there are 20 items that he developed that are, uh, to, are uh, to measure whether or not someone is a psychopath. And uh, this is, like I said, a particular kind of psychopath. We'll get in later into different kinds of psychopa- psychopa- psychopathy, but psychopathy. <laughs> psychopathy. Psycho- psychopathy. So the way that you do this is that there are 12 different items, and the first one is glib and superficial charm. And as we go through this, the way you score it is to say either zero, one, or two. Zero means not present, one means kind of, and two means yes, it's present. So number one, glib and superficial charm. This means that you're uh, charismatic, you're... Uh, glib meaning that it's not authentic. There's nothing wrong with being charismatic. There's nothing wrong with being well-liked. There's something wrong. There's something uh, psychopathic about being fake charisma and fake well-liked. Birdo, zero, one, or two. Based on what I know, which is admittedly just from documentary and and a few articles I read, I'm going to go one because there is evidence that he was, that he would... uh, be false and and use charisma to basically get out of of situations um so yeah why not too well what i don't know is how often like how frequent how yeah. regular was this behavior how, yeah you know i like it i like your tentativeness i'm gonna give it a two because uh, he definitely had reports of it there's really mm-hmm. no doubt as you've already laid out some examples yeah that he was very fake charismatic, you know, that yeah. just that example of, yeah, okay. I lied on my resume, yeah, yeah. but you know, that's like <laughs> uh, that, that's a hard one to uh, yeah. wiggle out of, you know, yep, yep, yep. number two, grandiose estimation of self. So essentially narcissism. What do you think? Yeah. I, I, it's, I think it's a two on this one um, because essentially you have to have, you have to have that in your head to essentially concoct a plan for your life that looks like I'm going to have an island. I'm going to fly in 
illegal underage people to do illegal things with and flying rich people illegally film them and like and just to concoct all that and be like that's my life plan like that is incredibly grandiose in a malignant way so i i'm gonna go too yeah i'll go too as well the other i, I wouldn't go off of just that because that's more of lack of empathy really and and sadism uh but other kinds well, I, of I, I mean it more in the sense of like you know if, if you ask someone like what's your what's your plan for the next five years and someone tells you i i think i'm going to get an island and on this island, I'm going to fly in all the famous people from all over the world, and I'm going to film them ha- having sex with tons of uh, underage girls and stuff, and I'm going to be the king of the underground. Like, that's grandiose. Well, but it's it, but not in the clinical sense, because he actually did that. So, sure. you know, it's not grandiose, for example, for you and me to say, we're going to record a podcast that thousands of people are going to listen to today like that's not grandiose that's a fact and so so it it seems grandiose but grandiose means unrealistic and not well, I mean, accurate it, yeah i can see i can see the argument it is unrealistic though and he eventually did get caught and he eventually was killed okay, or died so, right? so that would be the detail you'd have to <laughs> yeah. include in grandiosity which yeah. is I uh, no no one is going to get, get away me in with trouble. this forever. Yeah. But again, he did get away with it forever, and he did have powerful people get him out of trouble. So that also was not a. But let me let me give an example of clinical grandiosity. So okay, but just one one before you do, because Theranos could have kept going longer, or the fire festival could have randomly gotten lucky, but we and we wouldn't know, right? But like. We have to say those people are being grandiose. <laughs> but out of, like I said earlier, yeah. out of all the people that do these things, are have all of them been caught? No. no. Th- for every Theranos, there's thousands yeah. of other businesses that are, uh, uh, you know, taking money from investors and lying to the, their investors about their viability as a business. It, it's par for the course. The only difference about Theranos was that it was head, headed by a attractive blonde you know that that was what was so weird about it and her personality was interesting there are countless examples of other businesses that have a psychopathic uh, grandiose leader who actually does it anyway the point is is that grandiosity in in this sense in the psychopathic sense is a, a market market evidence that they believe that they're superior to other people in ways that don't make any sense and frequently try to engineer their life such that they are made superior. So, you know, take someone like Brad Pitt, for example. A lot of people would say, well, he's superior to a lot of other people. (laughs) He is rich. He's famous. He's good looking. uh, He is, you know, people want to know what's going on in his life. So for him to wake up in the morning and say, you know what? A lot of people are going to want to take my picture and one day I'm going to own an island and I'm going to have all sorts of interesting people come to it. That's not grandiose. What would be grandiose for him would be to say, I am better in all ways. I'm smarter. I'm wiser. I have better ideas. And I need to assert that on a constant interpersonal level. That's what he, that's what Jeffrey Epstein uh, uh, exhibited was that he frequently 
had to establish, he, he was rich, he was important, he was powerful, he did have fame, but he frequently had to, according to reports, which, you know, it's hard to know, he frequently had to assert himself as such. He frequently had to make sure that people understood that he was rich. He frequently had to make sure that people understood he was famous and well-liked and important and well-connected. That's, that's the grandiosity. That's, that's the need for people to, to provide someone with narcissistic supply. Yes, Jeffrey Epstein, you're the best. Yes, Jeffrey Epstein, you are so smart. Yes, Jeffrey Epstein, you have nice things. That's, that's what narcissism is referring to. Number six, lack of remorse and guilt, yes. Number seven, shallow affect, some reports, I'm going to give it a one. Number eight, callous and lack of empathy, 100%. Number nine, parasitic lifestyle, no. Number 10, unless you count things he did in the beginning. Well, but wait, wait, actually, no, no, he did exhibit parasitic lifestyle. In the because beginning. He, yeah, in the beginning. That's how he got his, his start. Yeah, okay, so I'll give it a one. Number 10, poor behavioral controls. Uh, definitely with regards to sexual crimes, but unless you have other evidence. Well, the only thing I'll say from the documentary is he didn't seem to be able to stop himself going after the young right. girls. Which, again, the, the general personality trait would lead to all sorts of behavioral controls. Punching people in the I face see. at a party. Spending all your money at Vegas. These kinds of things. Number 11, sexual promiscuity. Uh, definitely yes. with regards to sexual crimes. Uh, it's hard to gauge though because he had he had a particular sexual sadism that because the the classic sexual promiscuity with regards to psychopathy usually has to do with cheating on people and uh, it's the fact that he had an overwhelming sexual compulsion to predate on young children it's hard to tease out what was that and what was general psychopathy anyway. Number 12, early behavioral problems, no reports, but we don't have much reports of anything. Number 13, lack of realistic long-term goals, really no indication there. 14, impulsivity, definitely regarding sexual crimes, but I didn't read anything that indicated classic psychopathic uh, impulsivity issues. Uh, 15, irresponsibility, same kind of thing. You can make an argument, but hard to know. 16, failure to accept responsibility for their own actions, yes. Uh, 17, many short marital uh, relationships, no. 18, juvenile delinquency, no. 19, revocation on conditional release and criminal versatility, no reports. Anyway, so scoring-wise, uh, he scores in the range of traits and not like a full-on uh, classic hair psychopath. Let's go on to antisocial personality disorder. This one you might actually like. So let's look at the seven criteria in the DSM. Failure to conform to social norms, Birdo. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Deceitfulness, yes or no? Meaning lying. Yes. Impulsivity. Uh, well, like I said, it seems impulsive that he couldn't stop himself from getting more and more and more and more and more girls. Yeah, it's, it's hard to know. Uh, 14, irritability and aggressiveness. Not sure. Yeah, no evidence. They, a couple of the women reported him becoming very intimidating, but... Yeah, he wasn't generally aggressive as the antisocial person usually is. Yeah. Five, reckless disregard for the safety of self and others. Uh, I don't know. Yes, this is referring to the abuse of other human beings. <laughs> he did not care for the safety of these girls. And oh, so, I see what you're saying. So he, he was absolutely, yeah. this is 100% endorsed. 
Six, consistent irresponsibility. Yes or no? That depends on your defining irresponsibility. Like he clearly paid his bills and his lawyers and right. maintained his businesses. Right. So he wasn't in this way. And yeah. you pointed to good sort of uh, examples of that we would hear from yeah. this uh, criterion, which would be, yeah, not paying your bills, uh, I don't know, falling asleep on the street, getting and, too and drunk. Could, right. Yeah. And he could coordinate complex things right. regularly. Right. Number seven, lack of remorse. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So he he fit, he fits four out of six, or so four four out of seven, four out of seven, and so thus does qualify for a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder based on what we've seen on the internet. Um, so why would someone be this way? General thinking is genetics and upbringing. Anyway, moving on. Dark tetrad. So this is psychopathy, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and sadism. Uh, psychopathy, in this sense, is not the hair sense. It is more uh, narrow in that it just has to be a general lack of empathy and a lack of remorse. The answer is yes. Anyone who could do what he, they did to those young uh, people must be a psychopath in the dark tetrad sense and must not have had any empathy for these human beings, must had total lack of remorse. There's just no way they could do it. Because there's plenty of people who actually are attracted to people who uh, are, you know, victims of, of these kinds of crimes, and they don't act on it because they do have empathy and they do care. Let, let me ask you a question, though, um, because obviously from my perspective, that totally makes sense. Uh, but he goes up to one of these girls, and in his mind, he's like, I'm going to make this girl's life awesome. She's going to have money, power. She gets to go to this island. I'm helping this girl. Right. So there's I have empathy. There's absolutely justifications that people will make, but uh, I know enough about, and I don't want to go into the details, the crimes and the the sort of grooming behavior to the actual crime, to the cover-ups of the crime, that he was given multiple opportunities as a smart fella to know that. Overall, this was not good for yep. at least some of these individuals. Yep, yep. And there was at no point where he screened these individuals and saying, like, are you the sort of person that is going to mostly benefit and feel like this yeah. was worth it? You know, there was, not, there was no care in, in that way. There's just no other way to look at it. And, in, and I believe that might have been part of the reason why he did it in the first place. But Yeah, I, actually, I, I, would, I would say that that seemed so clear to me that the the sex part was almost secondary to him in fact the descriptions from the girls a lot of times is like oh he just wanted this that like it wasn't like he always needed full-on sex you know um so i i kept thinking like yeah the obviously sex is part of this but a lot of this is like this weird taking control of this person's life kind of thing right right so, dark tetrad, number one, psychopathy, clearly. Number two, narcissism. In a nutshell, there's evidence for, there's evidence against. I won't go into it, but um, it's hard to know about that one. He certainly wasn't a classic uh, narcissist in that way. Machiavellianism, absolutely. He was manipulative, calculating, deceptive, seemingly obsessed with the game that he was playing. Yep. Sadism, absolutely. Uh, enjoyed hurting other people, got, you know, seemingly got a thrill. There's no other way 
to do this without a heavy dose of sexual sadism. Because as you say, Berto, if he just wanted to have sex, the man could have had as much sex as he wanted to with, with as many adults as he wanted Constantly. to. Constantly. I mean, yeah. He could have had, I mean, there were supermodels that were yep. wanting to date the guy. Yep. He could have, and sometimes did, have sex all the time with these people. He, yeah. and, but there was something different about yeah. this guy <laughs> that he wanted to seemingly harm other people. Like I said, it's one thing to be attracted to a 12-year-old. It's another thing. So there's, so there's different avenues. I don't think I've ever really thought about this before. But, and by the way, if you have trauma, you might not want to listen to the rest of this episode uh, because we might get into some specifics around this. So please take care of yourself. Trigger warning on this. You know, or pause it, come back later, check in with your body, that kind of thing. So there's different kinds of you – know, this isn't really my specialty, but I, I've become at least a half specialist because the listeners have asked me to look into so many of these individuals, and I've looked into the research and thought about it and heard accounts from these criminals. And I think there's a lot of different routes to this. Um, one route is that um, they are just – they're very attracted to young people for whatever reason. You could call it a sexual orientation. And – they also have empathy and altruism and care for it. They're not a psychopath, but they're so desperate to get their sexual needs met that they will justify it to themselves. And the, the typical story you'll hear is they will groom the person. They'll right. become friends with them. And, and, and all the time the predator is saying to themselves, well, I haven't done anything to him. We're, we're just friends. Yeah. We're, yeah. I, you know, there's, I haven't committed any crime. And then, they become very close and like, well, how about I just do a back rub? That's not bad. People do that. It's you not know. bad. People That's do back bad. rubs. Yeah. And then one thing leads to another, the predator gets drunk and then something happens. And, but, but then they, but they do it. They, they commit the crime in a way while trying to convince the victim that they want to do it too. Yeah. So they will and say. And they convince th- themselves that, oh, it seems like it was consensual. Okay. Right. right. So that person is not a sadist. They are a uh, person who is sexually oriented towards younger people. They probably have a little bit of psychopathy, but not entirely. And they probably have some empathy, maybe not entirely. The other route that you will see predators take is they don't give a crap at all. They are on a mission and they have no thought about the human being behind that body and so that's the total psychopath. The third, uh, I think I might have called that a sadist, but I'm going to label that a psychopath. The third one is not they're a sexual they're a sexual sadist psychopath in that not only do they not care. This is this is what Jeffrey Epstein seemingly was. You you are oriented towards young people. You also have no care for human lives and feelings and three you get off on the pain and the humiliation of other people in a sexual manner ted bundy was this way he he very much seemingly got off on that on you know humiliating other people in that way jeffrey dahmer maybe um so 
there's a lot of different routes to victimization. In fact, we had a guest on the show, I think last year. I can't remember what I called the episode. It was something like his story of, um, you know, getting, I can't remember the title, but something along the lines of he survived horrific sexual abuse growing up. And he actually told a story of two different uh, predators, one of which was the neighborhood older guy who was friends to younger people. And, and that guy abused him, but he liked him. The guy, you know, the victim right, right. as an adult. Now he actually feels bad for him. He feels bad for his abuser, but he had the second abuser who was at the height, was it, you know, the head of this sexual abuse ring. And that guy, he said, he hated the whole time. He was right. out to hurt other people. He liked to humiliate in general he liked to hurt people in a variety of different ways, including sexually. Yeah, that, that's the part that I, I don't I don't think it's as clean, as clear cut, sorry, with Epstein, because um, it, let me put it this way. His organizational size, as well as the number of high profile people involved, um, maybe at least he had to keep some semblance of that. Hey, these are just fun-loving younger girls as opposed to like this is a torturous endeavor you know like the whole uh and on thing that's not what this was this wasn't like yeah we steal young children to torture them and then eat their flesh this was like ah dude it's fun it's an island full of uh, hot babes and you know they're a little young you know and now privately and what his behaviors with the the women yeah you're right it seems like he was like I was saying, he seems like he was a lot more into like the, the domination of it. And, but, um, but I didn't get to say, like, he certainly wasn't killing any of them. Well, that we know anyways, he wasn't, um, anyways, I, I, I just, it's weird. It's a the, weird. Yeah. It's hard to know. And you would have to get a report from him to really know, but right. from the reports, there were many women who, uh, or and girls, teenage girls and younger, who, when you hear the description of the way they were uh, coerced into the scenario, some of them seem like they were groomed in that nice way. Like, hey, you know, let's. Uh, what do we? What do you say we do? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And then slowly, kind of, yeah, edge them in that direction. It seeming it seemed like with others though. He definitely must have known that the girls were not comfortable, and yet he was more than happy to go about it. And this is important, I think, for a lot of people to understand, particularly for women, honestly, because there's this notion out there that if men could get away with this stuff, they would. That all men, if they, you know, we've talked about this before, right, right. that somehow... Jeffrey Epstein just had the power to get away with something that all men wanted to get away with, which is empirically false. There's very few individuals that would be turned on by a victim, even a remotely victimization scenario. And uh, all the other men aren't like, you know, not doing it because of lack of access or because right. they're afraid of getting caught. Like, no, <laughs> the vast majority of people, including men, only want to have sex and could only possibly uh, enjoy sex or participate willingly in sex that was 110% con consensual. 
So uh, we just want to be clear on that. There was something very right. particular about Jeffrey Epstein that was very different about him. <laughs> yep. Okay. So we talked about uh, Dark Tetrad. We talked about Hare's uh, psychopathy. Now let's talk about evolutionary psychology. Berto, it, what about evolutionary psychology might be able to explain Jeffrey Epstein? Oh, you're setting me up for failure again? Jeez, <laughs> um, uh, evolutionary psychology. Well, okay, I could see a couple of uh, flawed arguments, but I could see like, well, um, <clears throat> you know, there was an advantage for a uh, male to try to find uh, young, healthy females to procreate with because uh, the younger, the, the more likely that the, well, except not too young, but within a range, um, the more likely that the fetus would survive into being given birth and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, you know, of course, the more the, be the better, because that gives your, your seed more chances at, at survival. Yeah, but there you go. So that, that's, that's the hypothesis. And a lot of people in evolutionary psychology and in, among the lay public have accepted this hook, line, and sinker, this notion that men evolved differently than women. Men evolved to hoard young women and try to have sex with as many of them as possible and to keep them away from other men. Men evolved even to sexually assault other, you know, to, to sexually assault women. And the only reason why men today don't do it as often as they want to is because society prevents men from being their true selves. Uh, and the claim would be that Jeffrey Epstein just had the power to express his natural human drive for aggression and spreading his seed among young females. So, uh, and make no joke about it, that is a common conclusion among evolutionary psychologists. Not every evolutionary psychologist would agree with that, but many do. Um, so... The I've read, again, not really my professional area, but because of this podcast and uh, fighting with Umberto uh, over 12 years about this topic, I have learned a lot about it. <laughs> and my conclusions, as I think Umberto has also concluded after uh, many debates, and this is based on my the entirety of the research that I've read over the years, is that it's almost impossible for us humans to understand our natural state. And we could almost say anything because there's really evidence for a lot of things. Um, there is evidence that sexual coercion might have been in our natural paths, paths, pasts, because there are many people, men and women, who actually have fantasies, sexual fantasies of sexual coercion. You actually ask people, uh, do you have fantasies of being sexually coerced and forced into sex? And a, a sizable percentage of people, uh, women included, will say, yeah, I do have fantasies about being overpowered sexually. So that points in that direction. It, what seems to be the, the reality is that we evolved to not have a natural state in a lot of different areas. We seem to evolved to be extremely adaptable to whatever society we grew, we are born into, and which kind of makes a lot of sense in terms of like us as thinking creatures and social creatures. Over because our our language is so strong and our ability to create culture is so strong, it stands to reason that 
we evolved a natural state with society in mind, that we didn't just evolve the way other animals evolve purely in function to, you know, how to eat and have sex and that kind of thing, that we evolved in a system of, of societies. And it, it was a, a uh, we evolved a trait of let's allow a lot of our sexuality and a lot of our aggression and a lot of our ideas of pair bonding. Why don't we leave that a little bit open because we don't know what society this this next human is going to be born into. And those humans who were too inflexible to those areas might have been evolved out of our gene pool anyway. Yeah, where, where, I, where I will draw some lines, though, uh, if we're speaking about just uh, body evolution and not cultural evolution, uh, clearly we haven't evolved past women becoming fertile at around 12 or up. Um, meaning... That is a fact. That's when the bodies become fertile and capable of having a child. We yeah. didn't evolve past that. A small so, caveat is that uh, seemingly in the past, girls would become fertile a little later because okay. of different things that we're doing to people today. But yes, right. It's well, true. let's say like you know, fifteen or something. Right. Yeah. The the point is definitely under the quote unquote minimum age for our society. Right. right. Okay. And similarly, boys like boys started being able to produce sperm. At around, whatever, 12, same thing, you know, on the onset of puberty, or let's say, 13. Um, okay, so we haven't biologically evolved to like, okay, at 18, now we can have children. Okay, that's, that's a fact. Second, we certainly didn't evolve for long, longevity survival. Like, anyone past like probably 50 or 60, like, our bodies did not evolve to survive well past those years. That's why it's sort of like great when you see someone into their 80s, 90s, 100s, because it's like, wow, man. What are you doing right? <laughs> um, so what I mean by that is certainly there were no evolutionary stages of like how a 60-year-old a male should be attracted to what or whatever. And, and clearly it is like less risk to giving biological birth, not necessarily how much money you have and stuff like that, when you are younger and healthier. So when you put all those little ingredients together, I do think that there is something to probably, as anecdotally I can attest, and many males would anecdotally attest, there's probably a skew towards preferring younger looking females. And this might be true for females as well, like younger looking males, right? Uh, number one. Number two, there's probably a skew for like uh, uh, being attracted to more than one person. Now, that's not the same as there's a skew for wanting to torture people or there's a skew for wanting to imprison and lie and and you know and and all these things like and that there's a skew for having to have thousands and thousands and three a day like th th those are not the same thing at all they're not even in the same ballpark yeah the evidence according to what i have gleaned and what a, a lot of other sort of meta experts have concluded as well is that we have a lot of drives going in a lot of different directions we have we clearly have a drive towards altruism in sex and wanting to please each other sexually. We also seemingly have drives how you know how it fit into our natural state in the past. In the past, it's hard to know. Uh, we but we seemingly have a little bit of a drive for aggressive sex as well. Uh, we clearly have a a drive for sexual variety, and we also clearly have a drive for pair bonding. So. What is our natural state? It's hard to know. Uh, 
and as you said, none of this says, <laughs> and therefore... Our natural state is getting an island with thousands of underage girls to torture. But but that's what some people will say in evolutionary psychology, right? Now, what they might say is, no, we didn't evolve to be Jeffrey Epstein, but we did evolve with, you know, various different drives. And when something goes wrong, then some drives become more prevalent than others or some drives become exaggerated or something. So now, by the way, Jeffrey Epstein loved evolutionary psychology. Did you know this? I did not know that. He loved it. He donated lots of money to evolutionary psychology. He talked about it a lot. He met up with popular figures like Steven Pinker and these kinds of people. He had all these ideas that he wanted to do. He bought a ranch in New Mexico where he wanted to impregnate 20 women. He wanted to seed the human race with his DNA. This (laughs) is the grandiosity piece. Okay. (laughs) This, he, he really believed in eugenics and he wanted to have his penis and head frozen so that later he could be brought back to life with himself and his penis intact. He's like, well, I want my head and I want my penis. So th- You're so, kidding me. No. So this is, well, this is the report. Oh you know, who knows if it's accurate or not. But, but this is part of the grandiosity that I was talking about earlier is he literally said something along the lines of, I want to seed the human race with my DNA. That's grandiose, okay? Uh, So we have psychopathy in the hair sense. We have dark tetrad. We have evolutionary psychology. Let me rattle off the final few hypotheses here or conceptualizations. Uh, The next one is just that he was childish and immature. And there were reports of him being very insecure, always needing to be seen with models, always needed to be seen with the best things. There were reports of him being emotionally infantile. There were reports of him not having an inner world and lacking a self. And so this can result in impaired empathy because you're very childish. And it could also make you attracted to younger friends and younger partners because you feel more more comfortable with them. And uh, there are some... Uh, people who will commit these sorts of crimes in a much less, you know, famous way that are conceptualized as such that they, for whatever reason, just don't operate maturity wise on the level of anyone above 18. And when they're trying to get their attachment needs met and their sexual needs met, they just naturally are attracted to people that feel like them. You know, think about like when you're 13 and you want to uh, make out with someone, you typically look to 13-year-olds. You, you're, not, you're not looking to a 20-year-old or a 40-year-old. Right. You're looking to a 13-year-old. Well, that doesn't make you a pedophile. That means, it, it, yeah. it means because you feel 13. Well, imagine if you're 17 years old, but you feel 13. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll date someone a couple of years younger than you because 17-year-old girls just don't feel right to you. You know, they right. don't they say, well, they're not really interested in the same things that you are. They, they talk a little differently. They're, they're less goofy about things and you just feel better or friend wise. You know, there's lots of kids that I would treat in family therapy, the 10 year old kid. And when they played with the other 10 year old kids, it never went well. But when they played with six year old kids, it always go, it always went really well. And we would actually encourage that. Uh, not sexually, obviously. It was, you know, just playing Legos or something. Yeah. So uh, that's another way of conceptualizing it. There's not a lot of evidence of that. And, of course, that doesn't usually result in the uh, full-on sex predator ring that would that he exhibited. But 
you know, it's one way of potentially looking at it. And that's the point. It's like none of these conceptualizations are quote unquote right. They're just ways of looking at it. You know, you can yeah. make you can make a case for any of these. The next one is compulsion, which we've referred to already. Essentially, it's like an addiction, and it's possible. Um, it's 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 possible that he just had an itch that he could not stop. Uh, you know, trying to itch. <laughs> And similar to the way that you can get addicted to heroin or addicted to gambling or addicted to buying things, it just is this uncontrollable urge that you cannot control. Uh, There's some evidence of that, but we would, again, uh, we would have to hear from him and we'd have to believe him that he would say things like, I tried to stop myself. And right. I just couldn't do it. I, you know, I, I, I was sober for a month and it felt so good, but then I fell back into it and I was so ashamed of myself and I couldn't stop. Ted Bundy actually kind of looked like this, you know, when he went on that spree in Florida, it was yeah, like, yeah. it was the way that a heroin addict after getting sober for a year will just yeah. go complete off the rails when, when they get a fix. He went on the, you know, cause the first number of people he killed, it was like one a month or something, maybe two in a week, but it was never like four in one night, right. the way that he, and, way he did it. And it's hard one. to tell with Epstein because he kind of never had a dry spell. Right. Right. He was about to have a dry spell. Right. So we, we, but we'd have to hear from him what it felt like to deny himself and if he ever wanted to deny himself. Yeah. It certainly didn't look that way to me um, because I think we would have heard reports like, I don't know, from people saying that he checked himself into a sex addict anonymous facility. You know, certainly with his money, he would have been able to hire therapists and other sorts of right. people. There, there didn't seem to be anything along those lines. The other conceptualization is that there was something wrong with his brain. Um, certainly, there's uh, some evidence that for some people, when they have a stroke or they have brain surgery, there are reports of people developing high-level compulsions post-injury to the brain. There's actually this one case, this guy, he I think he had some kind of seizure disorder. He had surgery on the brain, and before the surgery, had never been attracted to kids. After surgery, total only attraction to children and wow. compulsively trying to predate on them. Oh, wow. And he would talk about it. He'd be like, I remember before the surgery, I did not have this urge. And now I cannot control myself. Now, oh, some man. people would look at him and say like, well, he always did, but he just is lying about it or something. But it stands to reason that when you have a brain injury or some kind of b- wiring disorder, all sorts of things could go wrong, include, yep. <laughs> including this. We just have no way of measuring this because we don't have a way of measuring the brain in this was way. Was he in any accidents that we know of? Not that I heard of. Um, and, and that would be interesting, right, to hear, like, he was a good kid, and then all of a sudden he got in this you know, motorcycle accident. And all, and, but you would hear other things, too. You'd yeah, hear other right. personality traits. So here's my conceptualization, very loose conceptualization, speculative of based on what I know about the situation. And it's several different things. It's uh, five different things that led up to what, what behavior we saw. Number one, this is my best guess. Number one is that 
he must have been abused or neglected as a child. Something must have happened to him when he was young. Something must have happened. There were no reports of that, uh, so who knows, but I suspect there was something going on there, at the very least, ongoing emotional neglect. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was sexually abused as, as a younger person. Uh, number two, immaturity. There seemed to be some reports of him just being generally immature. Uh, and the, the fact that he skipped grades actually could be part of the problem. Yeah. One of the things that people do not understand, and it drives me crazy, is when you have a smart kid in the third grade, you're like, well, let's bump him up. You know, he's, <laughs> he's advanced. We're holding him back by keeping him in this grade. Is, does anyone give a, a, an effing thought to the emotional development of this human being? <laughs> like, That's crazy. The fact that they can do math at a grade higher does not justify throwing, you know, all of us understand you take a kindergartner, let's say a kindergartner is, is as smart as an 18-year-old. Does the kindergarten go to college and live in a fraternity? No. We understand no. that when you're five, you can't handle that emotionally, <laughs> you know? Like, you, you don't know what it's like to live on your own. You, you can't socialize. Everyone's going to make fun of you. You're shorter, you know, all those kinds of things. Tons of research shows that when you skip kids ahead, particularly two grades... There are, on average, emotional consequences, yeah. and immaturity can be one of them. Look at Doogie Howser, MD. You know, he yeah. skipped all those grades, and then you saw him in How I Met Your Mother. He was emotionally yeah. retarded. Exactly. Uh, number three is he was on the psychopathic spectrum. Uh, he probably genetic, probably early experiences. Um, he definitely had a lack of empathy. So, uh, some sort of emotional problem going on early in life immaturity, psychopathic spectrum. Number four, sexual oriented towards teenage girls. He seemed to be extremely attracted to teenage girls. And this could be because of the immaturity. It also could be because of that first relationship he had with a student when he was a teacher. Hmm. So, so, he, so again, you have to have emotional abuse growing up or neglect. You have to be immature. You have to be on the psychopathic spectrum. And no... Uh, physical affection or no, no, no sexual gratification in his teenage years. And then he goes to college and then he becomes a teacher. Yeah. And he meets, he's, you know, a girl there sort of maybe, I don't know what happened, who knows, but something happened, either he predated on her or it was kind of mutual or who knows. And there's a sexual gratification moment. So there's a possibility that in that moment, for the very first time, he got his sexual needs met and he got his attachment needs met romantically. Oh, boy. That's a powerful experience that we can right. all relate to. When, you know, when we're 15 and we fall in love with our very first human being and we make out for half an hour, this is a, a, powerful, it's a powerful feeling. And it's neurologically wiring as well. You know, yeah. people develop all sorts of attractions this way. People might become attracted to, uh, you know, brunettes or tall guys or nerdy guys or dark skin guys or light skin women or, you know, whatever it is. You know, yeah. we, we are early experiences because, like I said earlier, we seem to be we seem to evolve to be adaptable that when you have those early experiences, it encodes in your sexuality 
associate everything about this person with sexuality from this point forward. You know, it, it, it seems to make sense. So maybe when he is 23 years old and having sex with this 16-year-old, it in, and it was the first time he'd have those feelings, it, it locked it in for him. Right. But again, you have to be in the psychopathic spectrum to do what he did later. You have to be uh, abused growing up, you, ha- you know, immature. And then the last factor is entitlement. So this was later. Up and you know, it, there weren't reports of him predating on younger people until he had the power to do so. So let's say Jeffrey Epstein doesn't succeed in the stock market, never becomes filthy rich. What would he have done? You know, it's right. possible that he never would have uh, victimized anyone aside from the student <laughs> that he that yep. he was with, or he would have done it once or twice and then said, yeah. oh, I got to stop this or else I'm Same with like trouble. the Weinsteins of the, the right. other, you know. Right. It's like I, they were probably going to be bad people in relationships, probably going to abuse a few people, but then they were given an opportunity to do it in an, an a massive scale. Right. And that's the part of it that we cannot ignore and almost is ignored. And I think something that you and I can offer the podcast world, which is you cannot have Harvey Weinstein, you cannot have Bill Cosby, you cannot have Jeffrey Epstein without the society that we live in. Right. It's just that. So if we want to answer the question, what was wrong with Jeffrey Epstein, our society is, is part of it. That if you are privileged, if you have money, if you have power, if you can pay for attorneys, if you can pay for people to intimidate victims, if you live in a society where victims, even on a good day, don't want to come forward, then that's why you have this behavior. That's why you see this happen for so long, uh, victimizing so many people. Because, you know, I always I always point this out. It's like, imagine if, you know, all these things are the same, little affection, immaturity, psychopathic spectrum, but... His bent was he liked to push people into the street. That was his that was his fetish. He just couldn't control himself. He just desperately wanted to push humans into the street to maybe get run over by a car. The very first time he pushed someone's he pushes someone into the street, they stand up and they call the cops. He is going to be prosecuted. <laughs> you know? They're like, well, you know, there there's and there are witnesses, right? Because that's the thing. Jeffrey Epstein, it wasn't like you just had random 15-year-old girls coming forward and saying they were being abused. There were multiple people that were like, yeah. yes, uh, this. I saw it happen. I drove her to the, you know, I saw him do X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, he pushes someone in the street and the victim stands up. It's like a, you know, 35-year-old white guy and some other woman saw it too. They go to the police. He's prosecuted. End of story. Yeah, to an extent, right? Money then still takes over. So yeah, you but, you kick you, someone out of your house, they're on the street. Yeah, they take can you, can, you know. can so the so power and fame and attorneys definitely play a role. Yeah, but our society also plays a role. Yeah, the, yeah. the fact I, that, you're right about the sexual stigma stigmatization. Stuff. Yeah, and yeah. the lack of response from many police. I, you know, enforcement. I just think that at some point. To bolster your point, not only is it bad on the sexual side of stuff, but then it extends beyond that too, because then we start excusing all sorts of bad behavior f- because you're wealthy. 
and and then it it helps occlude the abuse you know it's it, as an example if you see um the well here's here's the thing like uh, the sexual stuff if this had happened 10 years ago in fact it tried to happen 10 years ago and it tried to happen 20 years ago right but it wouldn't have gone anywhere we know it wouldn't have because you have even Donald Trump talking to Howard Stern going like, oh, he throws part, lots of parties. Uh, you know, many of those girls are young. Wink, wink. And that's it. Yeah. Meaning like, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Wink, wink. Harvey Weinstein. It was all basically out in the open. Right. And this would have been a very common response from a lot of people just like, oh, uh, I mean, like they might not even agree with it, but they'll still go like, uh, you know, wink, wink. And then, then it extends to a lot of things, right? Because it's like, how did he get his jet? Like, uh, I think he swindled someone. Wink, wink. And like, how did he do this? And that—that's that, kind of where I was getting at earlier, or when I when I talk about like these people that defraud people and stuff. And it has nothing to do with sex or whatever. But like, they we let people get away with stuff because they have enough power and money. Yeah, and, and they should it, not. They should they not should get not. away with it. Uh, us as a society should be reacting against this. And there's so many reasons why we don't that we don't have time to go into. Let me ask you a question, Birdo. Yeah. Did he kill himself? I don't think, I don't think he would have killed himself. No, I, he probably was, he was probably offed. <laughs> that's what you think? I would put money on he was offed. Okay. So you don't know, that's what you're saying? I don't know. I just, I mean, he's like such a, such a liability. Like why, if I were that kind of person with that kind of power and I could, and there seems to be a lot of shady indications... Why would I let him keep living? Like, you know. Yeah. So let's look at indication of homicide. And this is just, and again, if you're a super fan, you know more, but this is what I picked up from the internet. Both guards fell asleep. (laughs) It happens. Yeah, it does. People get sleepy. It does, but that's pretty odd. And when I first heard that, I was like, well, okay. But then I heard that their job was to check on the prisoners every 30 minutes. (laughs) So it's not like they were just sitting in right. a in a guard booth for eight hours and right, right. their job typically involves doing rounds every thirty minutes. That means you're on your feet probably half the night. So that's interesting. Multiple cameras malfunctioned. Yeah, not, you know, not just not just one camera. <laughs> you know how Windows ninety five goes blue screen on you. Yeah. The uh, bone in the neck was broken, which is more commonly broken during strangulation. Uh, Also, another thing that someone said on the internet was, you know, why wouldn't he at least try to make a deal with prosecutors? Because the prosecutors would have loved to have gotten others, right? Prince Andrew, for example. And if, if he was such a master manipulator, why didn't he at least try to make a deal because there was probably i mean his at least his lawyers were probably putting that forward of like hey you know maybe there's something we could do here also as you were saying there were a lot of powerful people who needed him to die high level politicians potentially at the highest level public officials judges police officers uh, filthy rich individuals who have the ability to pay certain you know people off uh, royalty, this kind of thing. It, there were so many people. If there was ever a conspiracy, if there was ever an ability, uh, if there was ever a murder that people had the ability to, uh, you know, you know, successfully pull off a conspiracy, 
even if it was just one of them, all, all you would need would be one yeah. super rich, powerful oh, yeah. dude to be like, I am going to make sure that this happens. You well, know? Th- these are the conspiracies that I have no trouble believing because like, this isn't like, you know, a massively organized millions of people involved conspiracy like Flat Earth or something, you know. Right. This is like, that happens all the time. First of all, this happens all the time. Mobsters off witnesses all the time. In Colombia, it was a sport. Like, it happened constantly. Right. So, for me to believe that, like, this one time with this very high-profile thing that was with a... No, it's probably... Come on. It's just silly. Now, well, could it well, have been? Right. Yeah. So, but, so you know. the, the conspiracy could, could have only involved four people. You have the super rich guy. You have the super rich guy's assistant, because I have a hard time believing the super rich guy would do the dirty work. The assistant goes to the two guards... And says, we are going to, if you, if you play ball, you'll not only, you're going to get all sorts of riches, you know, all sorts of good things. If you don't, we're going to kill you and your family. So, so you make a choice. And then those two guards are like, uh, I guess we have no choice. And so what do we have to do? You just have to fall asleep. Well, no, they would have to, but they could potentially uh, participate in the murder. You know what I mean? Like, they, sure, sure, sure. So <laughs> that's that's a good point. They could have been the ones that killed, them. <laughs> right? And, or, like you said, they could just fall asleep and let someone in that kind of thing. So maybe there's a fifth person. But so the conspiracy is possible and more more uh, believable to be possible, given that you only need like a handful, maybe a dozen people to be involved in this. Each person, basically, on a blood oath to stay quiet and none of them have any reason to come forward. Okay. Uh, faking a landing on the moon, keeping, uh, you know, knowledge of a flat earth <laughs> would involve millions upon millions of people spanning eras of our society, by the way. Okay. Um, so, but let's talk about indication of suicide days before his death. He was found injured and semi-conscious at one thirty AM on the floor of his cell with marks around his neck. So if this was if he was murdered, why would they almost kill him a few nights before? That's a good point. <laughs> and then fail to follow through with it. But I have a theory, which is that yeah, you'll make it look like he was trying to commit suicide. <laughs> okay, but then why didn't he say something? Like because he's too afraid. Because they're like, you better not talk. They, they made it look to him like they were intimidating him to not talk. He's like, of course I'm not going to say anything. But if you're you the not. but if you're the murderers, why would you take that chance? If you had a chance to wring his neck one night, it's it's much more likely to me that if anyway that's that's evidence of a suicide, and that you'll see that you'll see people, yeah. especially when they have lack of access to a means, they will fail uh, a few times because yeah. they don't have the ability to pull it off. The medical examiner, New York City medical examiner, concluded that it was suicide. Now, again, you can wave that away by saying it was part of the conspiracy or whatever, but, you know, we have that. He might have been terrified of going to prison. There are reports of him paying other inmates to not hurt him. He had a lot of reason to believe that if he, and he had a lot of reasons to believe he's going to prison, and he had reasons to believe that he was going to get hurt, that someone was going to get him, right? Yeah. Either sooner or later, some some bad is going to happen to him. Well, and if he was trying to freeze his head and his penis, better do it when he's young. Yeah. Ish. Also, guards fall asleep sometimes. I was a security guard. I wasn't a security guard in a prison, 
But I was a security guard for a number of years in college, and I'm here to tell you <laughs> that <laughs> guards sometimes, you know, have issues with their sleep. So uh, suicides happen frequently in prison, regardless of efforts to prevent it. It's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a big problem in prisons. And he absolutely knew his fate. And it's not uncommon for predators and perpetrators of this sort of crime, particularly to kill themselves or at least to think about suicide when they are in this sort of situation. They're just like, I'm not only done with my life, this is going to be humiliating. I, I, there, you know, Once all this comes out, as it already sort of is coming out, not only is my life over, but my entire image is over. No one's going to want to talk to me. Um, there's there's nowhere else to go than to kill myself. And so but let's, he's been to jail before. Two years he spent in jail but because he got, of the same shit. But <laughs> but this time there was a lot of reasons to yeah. believe that his his life was over. He was he was going to go to prison for the rest of his life. And the the first time he went, there was a lot of hope of him getting out because he did get out. You know, it was well before. All the news was coming out well before Me Too, well before Harvey, Harvey Weinstein, this kind of thing. So, Didn't Trump have just pardoned him? <laughs> yeah. So there is evidence of suicide. It's not, it's not uh, unreasonable to believe that he did kill himself. And so the other story is that he killed himself and he paid off the guards. That he wanted to die. And he yeah. said, look, guards, I will, I will put millions of dollars in a trust fund available to your kids. Um, or if you don't let me do this, I'm going to kill your kids. <laughs> believe, <laughs> believe me, I have people. And yeah. all you got to do is fall asleep and everything will be fine. Yeah. That could, you know, then the guards turn the cameras the other way, blah, blah, blah. And you have suicide. So uh, the fact is, is that no one knows what really happened. A lot of different possibilities are possible. Yeah. And, we just have to live with the fact that we'll just probably never know. Because I find if, it really ironic. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go no. Go ahead. I find it really ironic because the this uh, toxic movement about the whole QAnon thing. Uh, they're this, a lot of the same people. I bet you the crossover is almost a hundred percent that are anti cancel culture and anti Me Too, uh, and yet it is the Me Too cancel movement <laughs> that helped this finally like happen <laughs> and uh and there's your predator your actual real life kids predator uh i've successfully avoided all knowledge of QAnon, so um i don't even know what you're talking about i know oh that gosh. it's supposed to be a thing and i don't want to know honestly <laughs> like i'm just not you won't interested. have a choice man they're in congress now yeah well i know that too but i just don't care anyway uh conclusion this is an awful crime. Many, many victims, hundreds of victims. He got away with it because of our society, because of white privilege, because of rich privilege, because of systemic problems in our legal system, because of victim stigma, because of sexism, because of, I don't know, just so many different things. He got away with it. He was a monster, monster human being. There's just no doubt about it regardless of what DSM diagnosis or any kind of psychological assessment, he was a perpetrator of extreme evil acts every day 
of the last 30 years plus. Every single moment of his life and being was either in orientation towards that evil or covering it up. Yep. And we need to change our system so that we can catch the others that are still out there. And believe me, there are ones at the top, there are ones in the middle, and there are ones at the bottom. There are uh, regular Joes who are plumbers who are out there doing this sort of thing. There are women who are out there doing this sort of thing. There are people who are CEOs and doing this kind of thing. Uh, at every level of society, there are people getting away with this because of our society and our lack of response to them. And if you, if, if you want to not have these Jeffrey Epsteins out there, then we have to raise awareness for it. We have to talk in ways that allow victims to feel like they can come forward. We have to have uh, legal systems that actually are careful when victims do come forward because it's going to be hard for them to come forward. We have to protect them from cross-examination and uh, humiliation procedures that involve uh, stripping naked and having cotton swabs go places, this kind of thing, unless they want it to happen that way. Um, there's so many different things that need to happen. Um, we need to Indeed. talk. We need to allow victims to have a voice and to spread the word of what they went through. You know, for every Jeffrey Epstein, we need a hundred victims who and survivors who are able to be glorified and given a medal for what they went through and how they came forward. You know, we need to, the heroes of our society need to be those who were the whistleblowers, the journalists who took a chance, the lawyers who took a chance, the police officers who took a chance, the judges who wouldn't allow themselves to be paid off. These are the heroes in our society, and these are the heroes that we need to be holding up. But it's awful, you know, especially if you're watching the documentary. These stories are just horrific. The abuse that these young people went through and the long-term damage that this does to their sexualities sometimes, to their trust in other people, to their self-esteem. And then the way we respond to them compounds the problem. We have a problem. And... The vast majority of the time, it's, it's not a conspiracy. The thing that Jeffrey Epstein did with Ghislaine Maxwell and the others, it wasn't a conspiracy, really, because it was, almost, as Berto said earlier, it was almost basically out in the open. Yep. They recruited from high schools. It was well known, like, oh, you know, Jenny, she has this rich guy who you can have sex with. You know, there were dozens of girls at a local high school, I think it, somewhere in Florida, was it, where... Yep. Every all the girls do, yeah. If you want to make a hundred bucks, you you know, you quote unquote massage this rich guy that lives up you know in, in the rich neighborhood. Uh, you want to make a hundred bucks, and and you know some of the girls did it, and some of the girls didn't. And that's not a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's just that's just opening up uh, up you know a Seven Eleven on the side of the street and just waiting for people to come. You know. Yeah. And then when the girls. Uh, did tell the people or when the older sisters or the parents reported to the police, nothing happened or very little happened. And why is that? <laughs> like, anyway, 
Final word, Berto. You know, there was a story in there about, I think it was for his birthday or something. They, they flew uh, two 12-year-olds, I think, from France. Um, that was the that that bit of the story was probably the worst part for me because I was thinking that in an instant these these girls' lives were were trashed, you know, and um, just that concept, like think how how you'd be as a parent, as a grandparent, as that person, that family, that these people with power can basically subvert the entire rest of the lives of these girls permanently. And it's just monstrous. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. 